Hello and welcome to the latest European football show in association with Eurosport. Now, often podcasts like ours are accused of being willfully kooky, of ignoring the mainstream to shine a light on hidden corners of the game that would otherwise remain uncovered, of deliberate smart alecry of out-and-out pomposity. All of those comments are, of course, more than fair, as regular listeners will know all too well. But this week we've gone for the big subject, the gigantic sponsors, not the Scandinavian second division, but the biggest tournament of all. Oh, yeah, we're talking about the World Cup, and that at least is worth a round of applause. Thanks for, thanks for sneering during that opening. <laughs> yes, the lineup for the 2014 World Cup is now complete, barring a, a formality, and we have a chance to look at it in some detail. We'll be hearing directly from France after their incredible success last night, and also having a whiz around the regions and discovering who we should look out for as the big one inches ever closer. To do all of that, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Ben Littleton and by Eurosport's very own Alex Chick as well. Firstly, gents, the, the World Cup, Ben, without Zlatan. Um, can we cope? Well, it's not going to be as good, that's for sure. When you think of he says that as well, he does. He says it's not worth watching. But uh, the, the game between Sweden and Portugal last night was so good, and it did make you think. Well, there is something to be said for competitive international football when it works it is unlike anything else uh, entirely. And for moments in that second half between Sweden and Portugal, it was just edge of your seat stuff. And I just wonder if there will be a game as good as that at the actual World Cup. I hope so. But for a moment, you really thought Sweden were going to do it. Yeah, Alex, we, we build these things, we build them up. Uh, uh, they rarely deliver. But my goodness me, 4-2 over the two legs to Ronaldo over Zlatan. Yes, it was, in, it was incredible. And as you say, you know, the, 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 you, we were expected to come in this morning and go, oh, well, of course, they're not one-man teams and all that kind of stuff. And admittedly, some of the assists for, for Ronaldo's goals were very good. But yes when he just imposes his will over a football match as he did last night it was incredible and as Ben says Zlatan scores twice Portugal all over the place and, yeah, they're going to do it they're going to do it they're going to do it and then Portugal break and you go oh wait Ronaldo's going to score here and indeed he does it was, um, it was incredible but as for whether we can cope without Zlatan there have been 19 World Cups 17 of them have been without Zlatan Ibrahimovic I think we'll be okay you think we'll, you think we'll be alright Zlatan did say after the game that he thought both teams deserved to be at the World Cup and I actually have some sympathy with that point of view when you Do I sense a rant coming on? Minor rant okay. but when you think that Sweden are actually ranked 25 in the FIFA rankings this is before the game last night I know they'll all change after the latest round but they're in the top 32 sides anyway um, out of the uh, 13 there are 13 places that go to European teams in the competition out of 32 but in the top 32 in the world rankings there are, there are 20 sides so there's a discrepancy of seven sides. There's seven European sides that are not in the top 32 in the FIFA rankings that can't qualify for the World Cup. And I think Sweden are among the best. Ukraine are actually the highest ranked out of those sides, but Sweden the, the next best ranked. I think there should be more European sides in the World Cup if you want quality. Yeah, well, the European Championships for that as well, no? I mean, that's that would be the other argument. Well, er, but every uh, continental... There's every there's a continental competition for every continent. There's the Copa America, there's African nations. So, of course, yeah. And there are going to be more teams in the European Championship in 2060 anyway, which which uh, lessens the quality of the tournament, I think. Yeah, I mean, is, is that an argument that you would... Uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit later on about CONCACAF and so on, but what do you make of, of Europe? Is it not just a case of they got a tough draw, Sweden? So did, so did France, in fairness, and, and it's tough, really. Well, it is tough, but as Ben says, what do you want from the World Cup? Do you, if you want the best teams to be there, clearly the current system doesn't give you that or doesn't give you all of that. I'm not too, I'm not too fussed about it, and, and I'll come on later to the uh, slight iniquity. I think that it's, it's, it's worse and it's more difficult for the African teams than it is for the Europeans. 
Yeah, and the other point about Sweden, Ben, um, is you know the World Cup's not going to be really any the poorer without them. Yes, without Zlatan, but it's not as if we're missing an Italy or France or Germany, one of the bigger nations. Does the, is the World Cup terribly going to miss um, the 25th ranked team in the world, do you think? No, I, I agree with that entirely. And in terms of broadening out the game, isn't it good that we then have other nations? Yeah, coming? yeah, no, I agree. I take that point entirely. But if you're talking about the personality of a single player overriding his whole team, at times Portugal over the two legs, looked rubbish. But the, the, this construct is that we can't have a World Cup without Ronaldo there. So why can't you have a World Cup without Ibra there? I mean, Ibra is in the top three players in the world, just like Ronaldo, just like Messi, and Thiago Alcantara, of course, your mm. favourite. So, you know, it's, it, for me, it's the same thing. I think Portugal's 10 players, aside from Ronaldo, are better than Sweden's 10 players. Um, but it's it's a similar it's a similar basis of a narrative, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the World Cup won't be the World Cup without Kim Chelstrom uh, in it. That is for sure. And by the way, you, you you sneer about Alcantara. Also on this show a, a couple of months ago, Paul Pogba, Ballon d'Or next year is not looking so silly now. So uh, we shall see. Best midfielder how in the many, world. How many 2014 Ballon d'Or uh, predictions have you made? Two. <laughs> Two. Okay. One of them was wrong. I think one of them's looking quite good. <laughs> Talk of smart Alec Crew. We shall. Okay. Uh, that's you out. Um, anyway, Iceland, Croatia, and Greece, Romania. Briefly. Um, it's a shame about Iceland, uh, or you probably think not, because Croatia are higher ranked to deserve to be there, Ben. Um, and Greece have actually, on the quiet, in, in amazing form, aren't they? Yeah, no, that's, you're absolutely right, and you've uh, read my answer as well. Yes, Iceland have got the story, they'd be the smallest side ever to be at a World Cup, but again, they'd just get hammered in the group stages and it wouldn't be competitive. I think, I think Croatia is a side that, that could qualify, but Mandzukic was sent off last night, so I wonder if that means he's going to be suspended for a couple of the games at the beginning of the group It normally does, remember with Wayne yeah. Rooney as well, so yeah. that, will be, uh, that will be a massive blow for them. Um, what about you, Alex? Would you rather have had Iceland there? Probably not, because they would just get thrashed. Um, and I tell you what, Greece, winning Euro 2004 was just about the worst thing that could have happened to Greece because now you just say, oh, Greece have qualified for the Oh, no, not Greece. I hate Greece. Everybody hates Greece. And actually, this team is really not that bad to watch. So, you know, Mitroglou is fantastic over the, over the two legs. Uh, not quite as good as Zlatan or Ronaldo, but they're really not a bad team to watch. And and, and I think they're sort of unfairly maligned because they won the Euros and everyone hated it so much. Well, I think you're reading quite a lot into the two games against Romania where they did go goal crazy. But I think in the group stages, they scored like 10, uh, 10 goals in 10 games. They are not an attacking side. No, but that won them a European Championship. And the World Cup wouldn't be the World Cup without Mitroglou. So uh, there's another great name who's going to be there. Uh, but the story of the European qualifiers, of course, was France beating 2-0 in that first leg in Ukraine. The pressure on Didier Deschamps was immense going into the second leg at the Stade de France. And they responded, didn't they? A talented group of players, a, a team that you know many think can win the World Cup, won 3-0 and just about got there. I've had to change my cue into all of this because I thought they'd had it. Uh, Matt Spiro joins us uh, on the line to get some instant reaction from Paris. Uh, Matt, thanks so much uh, for your time. So is there an, an air of smugness around now about France? Uh, and we told you so, we knew all along we were going to make it? No, no, not at all. There's, a, there's an air of relief and, and happiness. And uh, the celebrations last night were, were, were quite refreshing. I think, you know, for once, France sort of uh, weren't, really, weren't really expecting much. Everyone was saying, OK, uh, maybe we are better on paper, but at the end of the day, we keep on saying that and we keep on coming up short. And uh, 
uh, Friday night was such a disappointment, such a slap in the face for, for, for the French players. They spent the sort of three days in between the games saying about how much they were going to fight and how much they were going to you know, stand up for themselves and, uh, and finally deliver. And you know, they really left themselves open to, to criticism. And, and, and to be fair, they did deliver. And that's you know, the front page of L'Equipe today, respect. And you know, it's just about the first time that people have sort of wanted to show a bit of respect to this, to this new generation of, of, of French players. And, and in a way, the, the method of, of qualifying so dramatically gives them an awful lot of momentum ahead of next summer, doesn't it? It, it, it does, but I think what happened in, in Ukraine is also, you know, a real sort of uh, important reminder, sort of a dose of reality of, the, you know, the fact that you've got this team that is clearly very talented and, and, and there's, you know, no question about that. Um, but if they don't play together, if they don't play collectively, they, they won't beat teams like Ukraine who are, who are solid, who, who can counterattack, who are well organised. And... Uh, you know, I, I think they've learned that, and that, that's the thing about last night. It wasn't Ribéry doing some magic. It wasn't, you know, a case of, of, of talent winning the day. It was a genuine collective performance. And what, what is also encouraging, we've been talking for a long time about the lack of leaders in France, and uh, we don't want to get too carried away on, on one performance. But if you look at some of the guys that, that really shone through, Varane and Sacco at the back, Sacco in particular looked like a, a proper leader last night. And, uh, and Paul Pogba, of course, who is a... You know, uh, a friend of yours, Dave. I know you like him a lot. He was he was absolutely immense. And uh, for for you know for a 20 year old, a potential future captain, no no question at all. So perhaps the leaders are finally emerging. Matt, it's Ben here. Um, Didier Deschamps made five changes from the side uh, that lost to uh, that lo- that lost to Ukraine on Friday. Is the side that started uh, last night more likely to be the side that we see at the World Cup? And has Deschamps taken? I know he took a lot of stick, uh, you know, in in the three days, but is he somehow to blame for for picking such a such a wrong side, or is it all okay because in hindsight he he corrected the errors? Yeah, a good good question. I mean, it's it's surprising that he went with just sort of two central midfielders in the away game, just played Pogba and, uh, and Matuidi, and then in the actual home game decided he needed to 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 solidify the midfield. Brought brought Kabay in, and Kabay made a huge difference. Uh, Valbuena, with his with his energy and his his work ethic, brought a hell of a lot more than than Samir Nasri did on on Friday night. Deschamps, I think, more than anything, has been criticised for the for the Nasri decision, deciding to basically make him the the main playmaker when a lot of people think he you know hasn't at all deserved to um to to to, to have been brought back into the fray after the the way he performed so so poorly and disgraced himself at, at, at Euro 2012. So I'd say yes, definitely. People like Kabay. Valbuena have uh, secured a lot of points. Benzema and Giroud, I'd say that's still a sort of um, open uh, open battle between between the two of them. It's obviously decided now that they can't play together. Um, they've they've played a few times together and it hasn't worked. In terms of the defence, that's that's still very open because Varane and Saka they played together for only the second time yesterday, and it's very much the sort of uh, third, fourth, fifth choices. But of course, those two have. Uh, have done their 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 causes an awful lot of good. Is there still such a disconnect between the the players and the public? I know this result will will bridge that gap. And and is the um is is the main task for Deschamps in in the next nine months to continue to bridge that gap until basically Euro 2016, when the gap needs to be closer because France are the hosts and you can't have a host country that's uh, not loved by uh, loved by its fans. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 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 one game, and I don't think people are going to get too carried away. I think what France have to do is 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 perform in a major tournament. Now, of course, they've 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 got there. That's that's the main thing, and. Um, the fact that they've come from two goals down to, to win three nil, you know, to win three two on aggregate, that's that's the sort of thing that they need to get to get the fans, you know, back on their side. And the the, the scenes at the end were were fantastic. People may sort of, you know, mock them for for celebrating so wildly, just you know, qualifying for for the World Cup. But to see people like people like Benzema, I mean, I've never seen Benzema so animated, dancing, laughing, and you know that that will definitely help. But you've also got to realize that uh, there's a big difference between the Stade de France crowd and and the rest of France you know they they they're just not not football supporters of course there are a few genuine fans but there's an awful lot of people who who turn up thinking you know that they're there to be entertained there was a message on the big screen before the game saying spectators tonight you need to turn into supporters and of course we know it doesn't quite work like that you can't just turn into supporters but um there's a difference, and at Euro 2016, they'll be playing games all, all around the country. Um, so, you know, the, the, the French public, in general, um, is potentially going to be going to be much more behind the team. But I think in Paris, it's going to remain something of a something of a problem. Interesting, isn't it? That Stuart Lancaster is trying to do exactly the same thing with the English rugby team. The, the New Zealand rugby team talk about uh, their supporters as shareholders. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it. We're all part of this together and you never get that sense in France. Um, just finally, Matt, and I'm not asking you to name names, I suspect in that glorious French sports media that exists, there's an awful lot of backtracking going on now, is there? Because there was a lot of strident opinion against the team, wasn't there, that they weren't going to make it? There, yeah, there was. There was. And, uh, you know, I think that people are, are giving this team the, 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 the credit that it deserves for doing what they did over 90 minutes. But they have to do it, um, you know, like I say, at a major tournament now. And I think there'll be a lot of people who will remain very dubious until they go to, to Brazil and at least, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go there and win it, but at least show that they are capable of beating good teams and they're capable of... Uh, of bringing France back, um, you know, to, to, towards becoming a, a, a power in football again. But yeah, there are, there are, you know, it, it was a bit over the top, I guess. The, the 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 reaction at the weekend, people were absolutely hammering the, the the France players and the climate in in France at the moment in terms of the economy. And of course, there's a lot of talk about the huge taxes and the the, 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 the you know the football players are, are bearing the brunt of a lot of anger. In, in France at the moment. I think that's one of the reasons why people um, kind of went to an extreme this weekend. And, uh, yeah, you're, you're right, though. Those those people who've been uh, who've been really having a go at the French have, uh, have uh, got a little bit quieter this morning. Yeah, it'd be ironic if in the end of the World Cup it was Hollande who put uh, France out, wouldn't it, uh, in the knockout stages? Uh, ben shaking his head at that, quite rightly. Matt, finally, finally, I just want to give our listeners all around the world a, a perspective on Paris here, because I know you're in Paris. Now, when England qualified for the World Cup, I'm not suggesting there were banners on the streets or anything silly like that, but there was a general sense that, I think, in a, in a general office environment, you would know that England had made it to the World Cup. It normally doesn't make a dent on Parisian life, does it? Any of this? Is there a sense France have done it? Are people talking about it? Uh, no, people are talking about it. There were more than 13 million people watching the game last night, which is which is uh, you know a record, I think, in the, in in recent years. And uh, I, th- I think what's what's interesting about this this World Cup playoff is that 
that's what I sort of tried to try to explain at the beginning. They, they they left themselves in a very vulnerable position, the French, because they really came out and said, you know, between the two games and said, you know, we are going to right the wrong. We were not good enough. We were not up to it. We were outfought by Ukraine and it wasn't good enough. And, you know, people like Giroud saying, we're going to die on the pitch. We're ready to die on the pitch. Sacco saying, we're going to show the world what France is all about. And, and you know, they, they, they backed that up. So I think they have, you know, captured quite a lot of... Uh, of love in terms of uh, in terms of the French public, it's not quite the same. And there were more, you know, I'll be honest with you, there were more Algerian celebrations on on the streets of Paris last night than uh, than, than French celebrations. But you know, that's that's the way it is in Paris. And uh, France will never be like England or or Italy in terms of um, you know the, the 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 passion and the culture for for football. But the French, they do like a winning team. So uh, if if they start winning again, then uh, you know people will will definitely start to get onside and uh, get behind them. Oh, dear. Black Blombeur, eh? Um, maybe we'll see it all over again next summer. Matt, thank you uh, so Thanks, much for your, for your time. And uh, we, we'll, it's good that we didn't talk Matuidi Pogba, but we'll maybe do that at another point. Oh, Matuidi played well as well, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, obviously, he's the better player, isn't he? Anyway, we'll stop, we'll stop. But, Matt, thank you very much indeed for your time. Yeah. Cheers, Dave. Great to hear from uh, from Matt Spiro, and it's it's so interesting. If you sp- you've spent a lot of time in Paris, Alex, yes, um, the Algerian celebrations were far more notable. Yeah, I can uh, I can understand that. I, w- I would absolutely believe it. Um, although I would I would come slightly to the defence of the French media. I mean, they 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 hammered they hammered them out of the Ukraine game because they deserved to be hammered. They could have been out of sight. They were lucky to lose two 0 It was a terrible performance, and they were rightly criticised. And today, it's right that they're praised. And I think sometimes the media gets the media itself get, get gets criticised for supposedly overreacting to things. But if they're reporting what happened last night, clearly the reactions on Saturday and, and, and today should be very, very different. Yeah, are. but there's a wider issue about the French sporting media. I'm not talking about the weekend and last night. I mean, this is a... The, the 98 team was pretty much criticised until it won. I'm sure that'd be the same if England won the World Cup. Right, OK. Well, um, what do you make of it, Ben? Well, well I mean, I think, I think Ukraine probably brings out the worst in the media anyway. You think about how how much Roy Hodgson was slated for playing for a nil-nil draw and getting it when England played in Ukraine in the yes. qualifiers. And if Deschamps had actually taken a leaf out of Hodgson's book and just played for a draw on Friday, all this might have been avoided. Now, uh, that's a sort of general look at some of the European powers from the playoffs. What about uh, elsewhere, Ben, in terms of your unjust only 13 qualifiers? Who's looking good? Germany, yeah. obviously. Mm. I mean, Germany they're, they're reserves. They're C team, really. Germany reserves, end. yeah. Uh, beating uh, beating England. I, I didn't watch the game because I was watching uh, the other qualifiers. But Hits I, I don't, to you. Yeah. I don't even. I don't even need to watch the game to know that you know Germany with their first team are going to be a, a massive threat in Brazil next summer and Spain as well. Although I think they're more question marks over the Spain side because of um, they don't know who they're going to play up front. They probably don't even need a striker. But uh, you know, I think uh, Del Bosque's got got more. Um, decisions to make this this summer going into the tournament than he has done in previous in previous uh, tournaments. So uh, for me, I'd give Germany the slight edge over uh, over Spain, but th- those two seem to me to be head and shoulders above the rest of the European teams. And uh, the Dutch are being a little bit forgotten, aren't they? I think they got to the final last time. Yes, yes. Well, they they never. I think probably even in the 2010 team, that wasn't a great Dutch team. Obviously, they didn't play in a classic in a classically Dutch style. And so they don't get the attention. And, and uh, it was interesting that their neighbours, uh, the, the lovely Belgians, um, lost both their friendlies. OK, they were friendlies, but they lost to Colombia, they lost to Japan. And they're not looking quite so clever now. Um, I, I would also, 
I'm not sure that Spain are getting the respect they deserve. Well, looking at the at the odds, they're fourth favourites behind Brazil, Argentina, and Germany. I don't really know. I take Ben's point that Germany looked very well set, but I don't really know that they should be shorter odds than Spain, who have only won the last three tournaments. Yeah, they have a slight problem with the strikers, but they've already shown that they can win a tournament without one. They may not be quite as good as they were in 2010, but they may not have to be. Yeah, and uh, it's all about form fundamentally as well. It's timing it right and, get, and getting it right uh, just for that one month, isn't it? So there are so many variables, Ben. That's right. It's not, even, it's not even getting it right for the month. It's getting it right for the last three games because you can not play well and still get out of the group stage if you're drawn with England or Honduras. Uh, as a matter of Ben's thrown in that he didn't watch the England game, Alex, what did you watch? I mean, I was flicking between uh, Romania against Greece and the uh, Gibraltar-Slovakia game, but what, <laughs> what about you? What a result for Gibraltar. Um, I watched the first... I was flicking between the two. I had the England on the radio, I had the Portugal game on the TV. Then as soon as Portugal scored their first goal, I switched over to the England game. As soon as Sweden equalised, I went back. So basically, I watched Portugal, uh, Portugal, Sweden. Yeah, and, and Sky Plus, all, all the rest, of course, to, to keep abreast of things. Um, elsewhere, not strictly Europe, but we should, uh, on this World Cup special, congratulate our African qualifiers in the shape of Ivory Coast, Cameroon, Nigeria, Ghana and Algeria. Uh, quite a traditional set of um, African names, Ben, isn't it, this time? It's the same five as, mm. as four years ago, which I think is a bit of a shame when you consider some of the sides that missed out. I know uh, Michael Cox are regular guest here loves Burkina Faso they they missed out as well so on only on away goals to Algeria that could uh, that could really really blow the ballon d'or for their coach yeah yeah absolutely I think he's probably had it now hasn't he (laughs) yeah exactly that's a shame but um no the the Algerians are actually quite lucky because uh the guy who scored their goal uh against Burkina Faso Magi Baguera who just pops up again and again I mean he plays at centre-back but he seems to be the only guy that scores goals for them he should have been sent off for a straight red before he scored the goal Instead, he got a yellow. And after the game, Vahid Halil-Hodjic, uh, the, uh, the Algeria coach, who was quite a belligerent sort, and I've been on the receiving end of his belligerence with a rather threatening letter I once received when he was coach of PSG, um, we've since made up. Uh, he wouldn't speak to the press after the first game, which uh, Algeria lost 3-2 because he was so annoyed at the refereeing decisions. He wouldn't speak to the press after the second game when Algeria qualified because he's at war with the local media. So he is now going to lead, a, lead a Algeria to the World Cup. But he's not talking to anyone. He's not going to tell us how he feels about it, which is a shame. But I do still like him, and uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's there. So what did you say about him that, that, that caused the letter as a matter of interest? On a complete tangent, can you not say? Uh, I, I, would it be a repetition of a libel, would it? No, no, I actually can't remember, because he was at PSG around 2000. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I can only remember the letter I received, but I can't remember what I originally wrote. And the, the extraordinary thing about Halley Hodzic is when he was coach of Lille, he got the PSG job after that, didn't he? The, the story is that uh, because of what had gone on in, in the war and so on, there was a sort of Bosnian death squad sent to, uh, to, to get to him. There's definitely a story, and I was living in France at the time, and he was out shopping. So they uh, they missed him, apparently, and that was always the story. I mean, whether that's an urban myth or not, people will probably tell us, and apologies if it is. Uh, we've got several listeners in France, I'm sure, will set us right. But um, but that was always the story about Halley Hodzic. I mean, he's an extraordinary guy, you know, and he's, he's great fun. It's a shame he's not talking because he's got so much to say. Exactly, and it is an amazing story. And, you know, if Algeria do get drawn in a group with Bosnia and Herzegovina, then, you know, the stories will all come out again. That would be amazing. Yeah, he used to make Luis Fernandez look dull. You know, that's how that's how entertaining uh, Halley Hodzic is. Um, and a word about Ivory Coast... Uh, <laughs> We're going to hear a lot about the golden generation, but golden generations don't win things, Alex. Uh, well, not this one, anyway. Um, it's, I mean, it really, really, I think that from there, the real regret that they that they should have is that they 
didn't win the African Cup of Nations, or they haven't yet. Um, I think they've been unlucky with the draw in uh, in the World Cup. They've they've, they've all they've always acquitted themselves fairly well, but 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 struggled with the draw. I mean, it it, it and and it's entirely dependent on that. I mean, you know, Ghana showed last time that you can go a long way if you get the uh, if you get if you get a, a decent draw. They've clearly got some superb players, and uh, now Jovino's uh, playing like uh, playing like the, uh, the the sub-Saharan Messi. Um, is it sub-Saharan? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, lost lost my geography. Um, you know they could do something. They look that they look probably probably the best of the African teams. They won't win it, but they they can certainly certainly make it. And, make it and the success of Ivory Coast is actually that they've qualified. Because when you think of a team like Egypt. Who was yes. so unlucky? Look at Mexico. Mexico. Mexico's qualifying campaign. They won one of their first eight games. Egypt won seven of their eight games and have a shocking performance against Ghana. And yeah. they're not there. I mean, that's a tragedy. Yeah, it's well, tragedy's well, probably pushing it, I but agree, it's, it's very, yeah. very disappointing. Um, let's talk about qualifying then, Alex. I know you've got a lot to say. Um, <laughs> no, but it, you know, not joking, but reasonably as well. I mean, the African qualifying needs looking at. No, uh, you know, how can you have this campaign that seems to go on forever, which is then settled over two legs? Well, it's it does seem unjust. I mean, as Ben as as Ben said, it Egypt won seven out of eight games, but because they they, they had one shocker in Ghana, that's that's the end of that. But they need more they need more qualifying places because if you only have five quali- qualifying places, you can set up the groups however you want. But probably, you know, if you have bigger groups, Egypt might be in the same group as Ghana. They would lose the they might lose the group over those two games anyway. They need more places. You know, they could probably they could probably have eight places. Um, and and then you look at the you look at the Americas who seem to be uh, very much overrepresented. Obviously, with Brazil being host, that exacerbates that. But yeah, Mexico, Mexico did absolutely everything in their power not to qualify, and they still couldn't manage it. They were so bad, and basically, qualifying means nothing if you can be utterly atrocious for two years. And you still get through. Similar with Uruguay, but certainly it wouldn't be unfair to say Mexico should play Uruguay um, f- for the place because that's the Americas, and then Jordan play Jordan play New Zealand for the other for the other place. It makes more sense geographically, and it also ensures that uh, that the teams that teams that underperform woefully at least have a chance of not qualifying. We're going to talk to Ian Dark in a moment about about Mexico and all of that. I'd be interested to get his take on it. But um, what do you make of all of this, Ben? I mean, Alex has got a point, hasn't he? Why, why not Uruguay, Mexico and, and Jordan, New Zealand? And I think the whole thing needs looking at, but that's one specific thing that would surely be fair. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I've already argued that there should be more European places available for, for you, the World Cup. You want Cup. an 87 team World Cup, don't you? At well, this rate? me yeah. and Michelle. Exactly, yeah. me and Michelle. So, um, I think more European teams, but I also think the African sides are, are, are woefully under underrepresented there. But then every continent has got an argument. Look at the Asian sides. There are, four, there are only four Asian sides in the tournament, but there are no Asian sides in the top 32 in the FIFA rankings. So everyone has got an argument to to make. Um, I would say um, if you if you take some African, if you add a couple more African places, where are you going to take them from? From CONCACAF. So instead of giving them three and a half places, you give them two places. But then you're saying, well, normally it would be USA and Mexico every time. You're not opening the door to Costa Rica, Honduras, Panama at but you, all. But you are, though, because if it had been two places this time, it wouldn't have been Mexico, would it? That's true. I mean, it, it, the balance ultimately is between making the game global... And and quality out now. I mean, if it was just about quality, the top 32 in the world in the rankings at a given time would would get there, wouldn't they? So why don't we make it like the Ryder Cup, where you have the top 30 sides, you have 30 sides playing off for qualifying, and two wild card places which go to the 
top two sides that are in the FIFA rankings at the end of November, of the before the World Cup, and they're the top two sides that didn't make the qualifiers but are ranked highest. And then you could get from any any continent. You, I think this time around it would be. It would probably be Ukraine and Sweden, actually, but uh, you, Egypt could be there as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I suppose there, there, are, there are arguments against that, aren't there? But I can see your point. I mean, I'm all for out of a hat. 31 qualifiers, and they just pick one out of a hat. Faroe Islands get to Gibraltar at the World Cup with Danny Higginbottom, finally fulfills his dream. I mean, there are many different ways to do it, but I think we all, do we all agree it needs looking at? It needs looking at, but we probably also all agree it's not going to change. Is that fair, Ben? I, I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, it is... Highly political, and I think um, the CONCACAF um, Exco committee member has obviously done a very good job in negotiating um, a to get more places than than CONCACAF probably deserve, and b to to get the uh, the CONCACAF um, playoff player playoff team playing against Oceania. I mean that that to me is the is the big story that that should be looked at. Okay. We mentioned Mexico there, and of course, after that victory against uh, New Zealand, they are through. But they scraped through to that playoff via the CONCACAF qualifiers behind the USA, Costa Rica and Honduras, and they were absurdly lucky to even make it into a playoff ahead of poor old Panama. Is there any case to be made for a nation from this region making an impact, I wonder, at the World Cup, uh, either at this tournament or or any in the future? We're joined now by Ian Dark, ESPN's commentator for those uh, World Cup qualifiers, who saw as much of these teams as anyone. Hi, Ian. Hi there, Dave. Yeah, Mexico, let's start with them and just put into context quite how fortunate they are to be at the World Cup. Very fortunate indeed. They were going out, going into stoppage time in the final game between Panama and the USA, and it was their big rivals, the USA, that saved them with an equaliser from Graham Zussi. You'll never have to buy a a beer in Mexico City again. So um, they were terrible, really. They drew their first three games nil-nil at the Azteca. They lost at home to Honduras. Uh, even when the chips were down in the final game, away to Costa Rica, who had nothing to play for, they lost that as well. Um, the lights were off and there was nobody home for most of the campaign. And do you sense uh, or get a feeling that that, that, that is going to continue? They've had huge issues with coaches, haven't they? They seem to change the coach every, every couple of months. Uh, can you see them getting into any kind of shape ahead of the World Cup? Well, they've got a few months to sort it all out. Um, the guy that's come in now, Miguel Herrera, left out all the European-based players, including the top scorer Chicharito Hernandez, um, for that first game against uh, New Zealand, Dos Santos as well, Guardado. Uh, They even dragged Rafael Marquez back from retirement. They are in chaos, but maybe, maybe they can get a different attitude with some more home-based players, but they are in a bit of a mess. And what should we make of the other CONCACAF qualifiers, Ian? I mean, you've watched a lot of the USA, haven't you? Um, How are they looking? Are they looking like a team that could, again, make an impact? I'm not suggesting win it or anything silly like that, but at least get somewhere in the knockout stages. Well, I think, you know, they have big dreams. Jurgen Klinsmann, as you know, is, is very upbeat, very positive. He fills his players with that kind of feeling as well. They've just come off their record year with 16 wins in the calendar year. I mean, it's a team built around Tim Howard, the goalkeeper, Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan. Michael Bradley of Roma is key to them in midfield. He's the guy that makes it all gel. They've got Jermaine Jones, uh, plays in the Champions League for Schalke. Josie Altador back in the Premier League now. He gets goals for the USA, but never in the Premier League, it seems. I I would say... um, If they got to the knockout stages in what looks a very, very tough World Cup, that would be pretty good. But they'll want to do better than that. Whether they can or not, I don't know. They did win away at Italy uh, under Klinsmann. 
Yeah, the, absolutely. And and that age-old question about the USA, while you're on, I should ask it. What, what's the what's the feeling like in terms of the popularity of the sport? Will they be glued to the television in the World Cup, do you think? Yeah, well, you know, the rights, uh, TV rights fees in America for the Premier League have gone shooting up. There is much more interest. It is growing quite fast, particularly uh, among young men, according to all the polls. Um, I did their game against Ghana in the, the last 16 of the last World Cup. They got 17 million for that. Um, MLS crowds are about the eighth best in the world. So it is growing, but it's never going to be as big as the NFL or NBA. Does that popularity on television make you a star then over there? <laughs> um, well, occasionally, if if anyone, if any broadcaster is going to have any profile, uh, maybe I'm gaining a little. Well, that's 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 nice to hear. A, qu- a quick word about Costa Rica and Honduras as well. Again, um, you know, I know you've seen them. Uh, any thoughts on them? I mean, are they just going to disappoint? You think? I, I saw them in, uh, last summer a lot, and neither of them impressed me hugely. I have to say. No, um, Costa Rica did well in, in the hexagonal. Of course, they're led by Brian Ruiz, who's an artistic player. Uh, Fulham. They've got some other useful sorts, a good goal scorer, Sabarillo, who plays for Real Salt Lake in M- MLS. But, uh, I mean, in this World Cup, and all those teams are in pot too, they could get horrendous draws. I think they're probably, like Honduras, who went to the last World Cup and just defended, I think they are destined to, to go out at the group stage. And just finally, with your journalistic eye, um, Ian, we've been talking about the, the way that these World Cup playoffs operate, and it, and it affects Mexico as well. Do you see any reason why it oughtn't to be Uruguay against Mexico for a place in the World Cup, say, and Jordan against New Zealand? Do you, do you think it's unfair? Because that's certainly the feeling we're getting from a lot of our listeners. Well, I don't know about that, to be honest with you. I think anything that gets the best... 32 teams or something like it uh, under this sort of political geographical spread that FIFA insists on uh, is good. Um, I'm not sure how many of the minnows you want there. I think those teams have got to prove they are somewhere near the best 32 to get there. So I don't have too much quarrel with it, although they were hopelessly one-sided, of course, uh, a couple of those playoff games. Ian, thank you uh, very much for your time. And we've got a lot of listeners in America, so any autograph requests, I'll just, I'll just forward on to you, OK? Yeah, all right. I'll try, I'll try to throw a cigar from my Rolls Royce. <laughs> <laughs> Great to uh, talk to you. Thanks very much, Take Ian. Take care, Dave. You're listening to the European Football Show in association with Eurosport. You can join in the Twitter debate at Eurofooty Show and get in touch with your thoughts by email, studio at europeanfootballshow.eu. Well, that's Europe and Africa and the CONCACAF region just about um, with our celebrity, uh, Ian Dark. It's time now for our latest competition, though, here on the European Football Show in association with Eurosport. I know Ben and Alex will have some great ideas for this. Um, uh, This week, we're compiling our latest 11 because they've been so popular and people enjoy them. And there are, of course, prizes to be won. And after our journey from the supermarket in the car via the kitchen, we're heading for a short comfort break and we're selecting our bathroom 11. But we don't want toilet jokes. Okay, we do. Um, But we're extending the list to anything, this is key, to anything which includes products that you have in your bathroom. You can't have Torsten Sink again because he was in the kitchen 11, but any kind of products you have in your bathroom, anything that's in a bathroom. So if you want your goalkeeper to be Hans-Jörg Brut or Nigel Lynx, that's okay. That's absolutely fine. Uh, Please send your entry to studio at europeanfootballshow.eu or get in touch on Twitter over the next week or so. And the winner's going to receive a copy of Miles Palmer's biography of Arsene Wenger, the professor. Uh, A copy that's made all the more poignant that it was lent to me by Ian Dowie and I never gave it back to him. He did tell me the the Carsten Janker story, which we 
still are yet to reveal on this show. Uh, I never gave it back to him, so I'll try and get him to sign it to you, the winner, to give it added surreality value. That's the kind of prize we like here. Have either of you got any ideas at all for the bathroom 11? Ben is shaking his head. Comedy's not your thing, is it? (laughs) It's really not. It's really not. What about you, Alex? Um, My best one, if indeed it was a best one, was... uh... Uh, well, you could have a Marcus Babble bath and then oh, like you could it. wash yourself with Thomas Lufa Lucy. Um, <laughs> and Mar- then, and then, Marcus Babble bath is excellent. And then put on some David Moisturiser. Oh, my They're getting goodness. worse. No, no, I like it. Better I than Nigel Links, though. And better than anything that uh, that Ben came up with as well. I, it, saying that, I bet you don't even know who Clem Fandango is, do you? Who is the, the current, you know, the comedy god of the UK. Do you, do you know who Clem Fandango is? Uh, no. No, neither of you do. OK, well, some of our listeners will. Um, you, that's your research for next time. Find out who Clem Fandango is. Twitter hashtag uh, going on this morning. Um, but onwards we go in this Whistletop World Cup look ahead in which we're not trying to predict the winner or anything like that, just attempting to cast some light and take stock before the madness of the European season resumes and engulfs us all, including this show. Uh, South America's really where the most obvious challenge will come from, with Brazil and Argentina right at the top of the betting, as Alex has said, and Colombia and Chile also fancied as dark horses, yes, by many. Um, to discuss the South American Challenge that little bit further. We're joined on the line now by the uh, Brazilian journalist Fernando Duarte. Hi, Fernando. Good morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, really good. Great to uh, hear from you as well. Um, So, in terms of the South American Challenge, uh, people seem to feel that the winner could well come from uh, South America, and and there's uh, many reasons to be confident, aren't there? Right. Uh, let me start with a disclaimer. I was up until three in the morning with Brazil, so I'm not fully awake yet. So That's OK. If I, if I stop babbling, please do, <laughs> do, do correct me. Right. I, I think history tells you that the winner could come from South America because of that fact that no European country has ever won a tournament there. Obviously, you have the, the likes of Brazil as a, as a whole nation, and Argentina has very, very tough opponents that have to be considered amongst, in my opinion, five or six teams that could go to the semifinals and, 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 and perhaps the final. I don't think necessarily that, uh, that a South American team is going to win, though. Uh, if anything, it will depend a lot on, on, on the cities and specifically on, the, on, on how much travel the cities, the cities make you do. Some groups are very weird. I'm going to demand uh, some changes in, 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 in geographical positions in Brazil that can actually pretty much bugger some team, you know. You, 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 might, you might play a scorching heat, and then in the second round, your first game could be in, 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 the, in the south of Brazil. It's quite cold. It's quite European at the, uh, at the time of the World Cup. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't totally rule out European sides, but uh, I think there's a combination of factors that could actually work in favour of the South American teams. Yeah, I mean, all of that, with not only the South American teams, but Brazil, because they're, they're going to be fine in terms of where they're playing their games. As long as they keep winning, they're, they're going to know where they're playing, aren't they? And they're not going to have to travel too much. Oh, yeah, but it, it, this is the whole nation advantage. It's, it's pretty like Germans did in, 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 in 2006, especially France. It works to your advantage. I don't think that in terms of like conditions, the Brazilian players are an advantage because most of the guys are playing in Europe anyway, so they also will be affected by, by, by some of the, of the geographical conditions. So far, what we know is that Brazil pretty much going to be based in the, in the northeast and the southeast if they manage to keep winning their games. And they're only going to play in Rio if they go to the final, which is something that people in Rio are pretty much ticked off by. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I still believe that Brazil are candidates. They have certainly improved under, under Scolari. I mean, they are miles away from, from what Menezes was doing in terms of confidence, even though I think it's a bit unfair to totally dismiss what Menezes did. He picked up players that weren't kept before, like Davi Luiz, for example, even Neymar. 
and they were playing reasonably well. I, I just think that the confidence was missing. And Scolari is a guy who's very, very, very good at preparing teams for competitions. He's a short, short purse manager. If only the chance of actually managing Chelsea for the whole of the Champions League, they might have done something differently before, before the material, in my opinion, because his psychological approach is uncanny. So the, the team's got a good pattern. Uh, is it, playing well. There is a bit of a uh, striker crisis now with Fred injured, and I think Joe yesterday was injured as well. Robinho had to play against uh, against Chile as a false line. Irony, irony, is the winning goal <laughs> with a header. So there are a few questions Brazil needs to answer, but I think that they're, they're going the right path among the top four, top five, alongside Argentina, Spain, and Germany. In my humble opinion, even though Germany yesterday. Won. What a horrendous match. I think people at Wembley should basically queue up to get the money back. This was one of the most horrendous friendlies I've ever seen in my life. Can you imagine England and Germany looking like an Eastern European midweek game? I mean, unbelievable. Fantastic. I, li- I like the fighting talk of it. Just finally for you, Fernando, um, a lot of people are talking about, you know, the dark horse of the World Cup coming from South America, Colombia and Chile, both looking like very underrated sides. Uh, what do you make of them? Could either of them actually win it, do you think, in South America? I think winning the World Cup is something very difficult. Uh, historically proven as well. I think one of the last sides to actually win the World Cup by surprise was Brazil in 58. Right? And, and that was because people didn't know that uh, about players there wasn't uh, nearly as much television as we see these days. And uh, all of a sudden people found out that Titi, Carincha, uh, Pele were amazing players. Uh, uh, perhaps Holland in 1974 was, was, was also very kind of like surprising thing uh, it's usually the fact, the fact that we have so few countries that want it shows that uh, how difficult it is to break tradition and to break the mode in this competition winning is something uh, that, that, that in my opinion is a, is a bit unreachable but it's getting crazy if you look at 2002 I, I don't know if anybody made money betting that South Korea and Turkey would be in the semi-finals so the, the, those guys were like a whisker away from the from, from the World Cup final, and both lost very tight matches against Brazil and Germany. So it, it, they, they, you could as well see that, uh, this kind of surprise. Chile is a very, very organized team. They finished third in the South American qualifiers, let's not forget, with the same number of victories as Argentina. And the th- same thing happened with Colombia, unless I'm very much mistaken. Yeah, I think Colombia was fi- finished second. At, uh, sorry if I don't remember this exactly now, but these are teams that, that, that have improved a lot. Now, obviously, with the absence of Brazil, in the qualifiers, they had a chance to shine. Uh, Chile gave Brazil a tough match in, uh, in April this year. They, they drew in Brazil 2-2. It was a horrendous game for, for Neymar. He was booed by his own crowd. There was a bit of a crisis. Uh, they, they were all right yesterday. Let's remember they were back after playing England and beating England in Wembley. At Wembley. So they still kind of like didn't, didn't sell cheaper the, the, the win, but they had to labor to, to, to a game last night. Colombia haven't seen many uh, many matches of them playing, but obviously you cannot discount the fact that they, they qualified with, with a certain ease. They have uh, amazing players, especially that that the the fellow Radamel Falcao. So they, they they could they could inflict some damage, uh, and the fact that Colombia see that 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 could make a whole difference for them because this is different depending on which group they get. It, it could open up the draw for them a bit, but again, I think it's too it's too early. Even when we know the group now in, in December in Brazil, it's a bit too early to say, "Oh, an outsider could do it. An outsider could try to do it." I, I, I have I have uh, a hunch that both could actually be this dark horse to actually 
go far in the competitions. But they have history. They've, they've been to the semi-finals before. They've been to the quarterfinals. Although it's a very young generation, if they, it, but they, they could they could be decided. And I think Scolari thinks that as well. That that, that could be time to surprise a few people. Fernando, thank you very much for your time. I'll let you go and get some sleep now. And uh, just put a DVD of the England Germany game on. You'll uh, you'll be uh, you'll be off with the fairies before you know it. But thank you very much. I get uh, angry. I get angry. I, I don't sleep with bad games. I get angry because what England and Germany did yesterday was still 90 minutes of my life. I was never going to get back. I'm never going to forgive them for that. Ah. Uh, there you go. Well, you should have uh, you should have watched uh, Slovakia Gibraltar like me. But uh, thanks very much indeed uh, for your time, Fernando. Well, that leaves our uh, Asian qualifiers, uh, who we'll look at in more detail as the uh, World Cup approaches. By the way, great, uh, lots of hipster ticks throughout Fernando's interview. There, have you noticed? False nine was in there. Garincha, many more. I think. Uh, obviously, mentioned Colombia and Chile as potential winners of the World Cup. I think we've we've, we've definitely fulfilled our quotient uh, there with uh, with Fernando. Um, but yeah, quick word about Asia. We- we will talk more about them. This is a bit patronising to throw them in at the end. Of course, uh, throughout uh, in the build-up to the World Cup on the European Football Show. But Ben, a quick word from you about Japan, Australia, Iran, South Korea. Um, it doesn't fill me with joy. I have to say, it doesn't feel as sort of exciting as the challenge has been from there in the past. I watched quite a lot of the qualifiers and didn't really float my boat. I have to be honest. Yeah, as I, as I said earlier, none of them are in the top 32 in the, <laughs> we go. In the world rankings. But they have had a good week because Japan Japan beat Belgium and um, and South Korea beat uh, Switzerland, who are both in the top seed of pot in the top mm. top uh, top eight uh, seedings for the for the World Cup draw. Um, so they could do something. I'm I'm interested to see what happens with Australia. They've got a new coach who came in uh, last month, Anti Postecoglou from uh, Melbourne Victory. And uh, he actually marked his debut with a victory yesterday against Costa Rica, 1-0. Uh, Lucas, um, Lucas Neal was captain f- for the side. Everyone was expecting him to be dropped because uh, they thought the new man would uh, come in with a new brush and get rid of the old generation. But in fact, Bresciano, Lucas Neal, Tim Cahill all, all played and Cahill scored. So uh, it's the same old, same old for Australia, even though Mark Schwarzer won't be there. Uh, what about you, Alex, with regard to the Asian challenge this time? Uh, well, yes, I mean, as Ben says, that's kind of the problem with, with Australia is that they really haven't been able to replace the you know, the, the team that played in, in 2006 was, was, was really a very good team and they just haven't been able to replace those players. So I don't think they're going to uh, do a great deal. Japan look, Japan look the best team, but I think that sort of um, their experience at the Confederations Cup is probably sadly uh, an omen for them because they played well, they impressed a lot of people, they were technically superb, they dominated spells and games, and they lost all three matches. Now, it was a tough group with Brazil and Italy, and it probably won't be as hard as that at the World Cup, but they are a team that sort of flatters to deceive, I think. Yeah, I mean, interesting things with Japanese football. I know I mentioned this before, and it sounds like a shameless plug for Eurosport, but the under-17 World Championship that was on, the Japanese youth sides now, the football they're playing, they're playing like Barcelona, they're trying to. And I think it's really interesting moving forward with Japan as to all those influences that come from Brazil and where they might be, say, in six or seven years' time, Alex. Well, potentially, yeah. I mean, I think what's... Interesting about Asian football actually is that, they, is that the Japanese teams are not as strong as you'd expect in, say, the Asian Champions League. I mean, that was won by uh, Guangzhou Evergrande of, of, of China um, with a predominantly Chinese squad, and China absolutely hopeless in qualifying. So it's it the balance of power in Asia is quite uh, 
sort of difficult to work out difficult to work out who's good really yeah involving a coach as well who knows how to win a world cup so well, we that, that, remember... that, it, it always helps if you got lippy but uh... yeah someone was actually putting lippy forward for that um coach ballon d'or thing as well because um of, of his sort of achievements in asia which we shouldn't go uh, underestimated maybe we'll talk about that uh, some more in the future a final question though to you both um who who isn't at the world cup apart from zlatan that you would most like to be there in terms of a country who's going to be missing out um, that you, you you would most like to be there. I, I'm going to p- put a shout in for Uzbekistan because I really enjoy watching them play. I saw them in qualifying and they were so close to doing it. If you're one like, goal it, away. Yeah, it, well, one it was incredible. Away. In the last 10 minutes, they suddenly started scoring and they, they were, as you say, they scored an injury time, nearly scored again and they'd have been there. But they play a really kind of high tempo, fun kind of football for me. I quite enjoy it. Uh, so that that's mine, Uzbekistan. Uh, talk about hipster choice. What about you, Ben? Um, that's a tricky question. I would say Republic of Ireland. Really, you're going to miss them, are you? Well, but they're not that high up in the rankings. I don't, no, I don't they're understand. not. They're not. But I think they're just fun. They're fun at tournaments, and especially with uh, Roy Keane and Martin O'Neill there now. Then obviously uh, you don't want to miss them at a tournament. Can I just pick up on one thing Fernando said very quickly? He's talking about the draw. It is so important what happens on December the sixth when the draw is made. That the whole the destination of almost the destination of the trophy, but how your side gets on is so determinant on the draw that I'm trying to think of a World Cup where the best team clearly has won the tournament because it's not always the best team that wins a tournament. This is a knockout tournament that happens every four years and how you get on is decided on how you get on in the group and then then you're obviously your knockout games. Spain proved to be the best um, over seven games four years ago, but before then, I don't think Italy were the best in the world in, in 2006. And so th- this is a, a tournament that is won often by luck rather than the best team. And I think that's something to bear in mind as we head to the draw. Yeah, that's uh, that's true enough. Uh, 6th of December in Bahia, isn't it? Which is a very, very uh, beautiful place. As we're talking about world football, by the way, just to want to point our, our listeners in a direction of something. I'm slightly biased because I work on it. But if, you, if you're looking, if you can't wait until next summer for climaxes to leagues, like the Premier League is going to be amazing. I think Italy, I think, could be as well. Um, just over the next three weeks, watch the Argentine League. It, it, I work on it every week, and it's sensational at the moment. Four teams can still win it within a point of each other. They keep losing to sort of teams at the bottom of the table. It's going to be Newell's or Arsenal or Lanús or San Lorenzo. It's going to be thrilling. So if you want a real great climax to a league and you can't wait till till next summer, then uh, start watching that Sunday nights normally and a uh, huge game this weekend between Arsenal and Newell's. There you go. There's a, you, you might, unfortunately, find me commentating on it as well. So you can always uh, try and watch the pictures and turn the sound down. But for a week, the European football show became a world football show uh, we hope that you uh, understand why I've just remembered I haven't asked you who you're going to miss at the World Cup Alex it's just on a World Cup without Gareth Bale it isn't a World Cup <sighs> where are Wales come on um, no seriously Egypt but uh, yeah you'll miss Egypt like James Montague will but yeah Gareth Bale Aaron Ramsey I mean Aaron Ramsey's the best midfielder in the world apparently and Egypt. Gareth Bale's the most expensive player <laughs> There you go. So there you go. We'll we'll miss Wales desperately. Uh, <laughs> Ryan really Giggs will. never got the chance to play at a World Cup. I suspect Gareth Bale might be the same. Now, normal parochial service will be resumed next time. Time for me to say, don't forget the latest, latest competition, of course, your bathroom 11. Thanks a million to our guests. Thanks uh, even more to you for listening. So spread the word and keep smiling. We'll see you uh, in a couple of weeks. For now, though, from Alex Chick, Ben Littleton, from Clem Fandango, and indeed from me, Dave Farah. Goodbye.